It's a wonderful experience when you realize that you have a text and you go to see what it says, and it says, I'm praying for you, and it's signed by Archbishop Foley Beach. <laughs> he does that regularly with his, with his friends and with his clergy, and so it is right that we should be focused on the subject of prayer and this conference should be as well, as, uh, as well attended as it is because nothing happens in God's kingdom until somebody prays. It is the backbone and literally the structure of everything that God does. He puts it in the hearts of people to pray and then he moves based on those prayers. I would like to begin this session with you, with the prayer that started the Lenten season this past Sunday. And if you'll bow your head, close your eyes, and let this sink deep into your spirit. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, that each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's a delight to be with you this morning, and I was looking so forward to Rosemarie's ministry. She's prayed for me uh, so many times. She has been in clergy retreats with us, and she is faithful to intercede for our Archbishop as well as for all the clergy and all of the people in Anglican Church of North America. And so we miss her greatly this morning, and our prayers are with her. I want to begin by telling you that you can't go far on the subject of prayer until you bump into this wonderful verse of Scripture that was written by the half-brother of Jesus, a man named Jude. And the 20th verse simply reads, But you, beloved, build yourselves up, founded on your most holy faith, make progress, rise like an edifice, higher and higher, higher and higher, praying in the Holy Spirit. He keynotes the fact that the Holy Spirit is the source of all authentic prayer. And I want to imprint on your mind this morning the story that started with the little satellite that could. I'd like to impact you with this vision. It was Pioneer 10. NASA launched it in 1972, and it had been built, engineered, constructed to have a lifespan of three years. It was launched for the purpose of exploring Jupiter. It would be the first man-made satellite that would penetrate that deep into our universe. 
But something happened as it documented the substance of that planet and it began to send photographs and data back to NASA. Some unexplained force flung it deep into space. And scientists and engineers are still trying to figure out what happened. How did this take place? But this unseen force propelled this 569-pound satellite into deep space, and all they can do is say, it was an anomaly. We can't explain it. People have tried to explain it. But by the time this little Pioneer 10, this satellite that could, this little satellite that could, finished its work, it had documented, photographed Saturn, Uranus, Pluto, and Neptune. And today, as far as anybody knows, it is leaving our universe. It still exists, though it was built with battery power to last only three years. NASA was still receiving data from it 30 years later. 30 years later, whatever that explained force was, we may never know. But I can tell you that the power and the force that came on the day of Pentecost is designed to thrust us into a prayer life that moves the world, that halts the purposes of Satan, and that grows the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27, our archbishop quoted from that passage this morning, tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and that he is the ultimate intercessor and prayer warrior from the innermost parts of our lives and our hearts, praying even for things we cannot discern, praying from us. My thoughts run back to many centuries ago when Philip Melanchthon was coming through the city, headed toward Martin Luther, and his Luther was waiting on the disposition of the princes of Germany to determine whether he was a heretic or whether the gospel that he represented could be presented to the world. And Melanchthon came to Luther and he said, God has given us the victory. God has given us the victory. And Luther said, how do you know that? He said, I've been going through village after village and I tell you, the children are praying. And sure enough, the princes of Germany found in favor of Luther. There had been a spiritual warfare that had been fought and won by the prayers of children. Doesn't that bless you? I stand here before you. There's nothing that blesses me more than when children pray for me. They pray simply. And they pray trustingly, 
and they know their heavenly Father gives them his loving attention. And that's exactly what God wants us to see during this prayer conference. See, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. So when you think maybe the Holy Spirit's not really working in your life, be mindful of the fact that because you call Jesus Lord from the depths of your being and you have made him master of your life, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to proclaim what we did just a few moments ago in song. Jesus is Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be able to proclaim that and to do so with every fiber of our being. True prayer begins when the Holy Spirit seals us and he cries from our hearts. Now listen, Galatians and Romans both document this. You can go to Galatians 4 and 6 and see the words that are written there. The scripture says when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, cries, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit makes that connection that no other methodology can make. He connects us because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice offered on Calvary. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives even though we're not perfect, we're not holy, and only He is worthy but because we lay claim to that precious sacrifice given on Calvary. He imputes his righteousness to us and makes us good vessels for the filling and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the first prayer, authentic prayer, that will ever be prayed from any human heart is the prayer of the Holy Spirit when he says, Abba, Daddy, Father. And he connects us. And he involves us and envelops us and sweeps us into the Godhead with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many times I have people ask me, what is the best book that you've ever read on prayer? My answer immediately is the Word of God. <laughs> it tells us about the prayer of Jabez. It tells us about that wonderful prayer of Solomon that pleased the heart of God when Solomon prayed, Lord, give me a hearing heart. And it pleased God, and God gave him wisdom beyond anyone else, the wisest man that ever lived, simply because he prayed, God, give me a hearing heart. Second only to the Bible would be this book that I inherited from my grandmother. It's just entitled Prayer. It's written by a Norwegian theologian by the name of O-O-L-E Hallisby. And in this book, O-O-L-E Hallisby 
documents what he has learned about prayer. It'll bless you. You can find it on Google. Amazon, I'm sure, has it. It will bless you. But in it, Oral Hallisby tells us that we always pray from a position of helplessness. We can't do anything for ourselves. You know, it's like the man who began to add up all of his wickedness and all of the wrong things he had done, all the grudges he'd held, all the lies he had told. And finally he said, you know, there's no way in the world that I can get to heaven except by God's mercy. Hey, that's what it's all about. God's mercy. We always pray from a position of helplessness. It is, helplessness is the very essence of prayer. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Apostle Paul tells us that he sought God because he was accosted by a demonic force that caused him great problems. He never tells us what it is because I believe the Holy Spirit's thought about that is it can apply to all of our difficulties, all of our temptations, all of our weaknesses. And he sought God that he might be relieved from this, this spirit, this demonic spirit that accosted him and caused him great distress. And the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. But he gives us a key. The Lord gives us a key as he speaks these words to the Apostle Paul. He said, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. See, we, we want to be strong and we want to think of ourselves as strong. But the Apostle heard Jesus say, but my strength, my dunamis, there are a lot of words in the New Testament, about five words. Some mean might, some mean strength, some mean authority. But in this case, the word that is used is dunamis. My power is perfected in you when you perceive yourself as weak as helpless, as in need of my help. And you fully lean upon me because my grace is sufficient for you. And that dynamite, again, Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the word in Acts 1.8 is dunamis. You shall receive power far beyond anything you can imagine. I want you to see yourself this morning as the little satellite that could. You may have been built for only three years, but let me tell you, the work God's got for you to do, it will blow anybody's expectation and certainly your own as you see yourself as helpless. Because as 
Hollisby says helplessness is the very essence of prayer. It is the publican and the Pharisee on the steps of the temple and the Pharisee saying, I'm strong. I'm so glad I'm not like this tax collector. I'm right before God. I'm strong. I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. And we see the publican as he's beating his breast and saying, Lord, there is no help, no hope, no future for me except that you have mercy on me. And Jesus said, the publican went to his home justified. And I love that extrapolation of the word justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. It was his acquiescence to the fact that he had no help within himself. God's purpose in, through us in prayer is that we operate by the inspiration and the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. So he presents to us the opportunity to do that when we come to Jesus and we repent of our sins and we put our faith toward God and we start our journey following him. He gives us the ability to do that as the Holy Spirit comes into us and as we are regularly filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might cooperate with the purposes of God. And prayer is that tuning fork that tunes us to the will of God. We may be filled with our own thoughts and that's why it is so important that we find ourselves quiet before the Lord. Hallisby says this, when you enter your secret chamber, take plenty of time before you begin to speak. And I love this. This is an, an old English word, but I love what it connotates to me. Let quietude, quietude, be quiet. Do you know how hard it is to be quiet these days? Very difficult. I was, I was raised um, thinking that silence was my enemy. And then I went into the radio business and did air work, then television business and did air work along with my brother Ty. And one thing you didn't want was silence. You wanted to be able to fill the airwaves with sound because people don't want to listen to silence. And so we are culturally attuned to noise. Got to have the radio on. Got to have the TV on. Got to have the CD playing. Got to have some kind of device delivering information that will entertain us and allow us to be filled with thought. It may be passive or it may be active. But this quietude Q-U-I-E-T-U-D-E, -E, quietude. What a word. So we come before him. And Hallaby says, when you enter your secret chamber, take plenty of time before you begin to speak. Let quietude wield its influence upon you. Be quiet. 
Let the fact that you are alone assert itself. Give your soul time to get released from the many outward things. Give God time to play the prelude to prayer for the benefit of your distracted soul. What advice? What wisdom? So that we might be operating by the work of the Holy Spirit. The power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit within our lives. We will find ourselves cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And He will begin to order us in the right way to pray. I love that the Lord's Prayer several mornings ago in my wife and my prayer time. I just felt to pray the Lord's Prayer. She said, I can't believe you're praying the Lord's Prayer. I just prayed it upstairs before I got out of bed. I felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will begin to order even your thought life as you're quiet before God. So He wants you to be so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that you cooperate with Him so He can coordinate the way you think and the way you pray. And then comes the getting the job done, and that is collaborate, collaborate, cooperate, coordinate, and collaborate. You'll find yourself engulfed in praying for things you haven't even put on the prayer list, praying for people and praying for circumstances. And you will see an atmospheric transformation take place because it is prayer that causes that which is real in the spiritual realm to be delivered to the material realm. It is prayer that changes things because God hears and He answers. Spend just a second talking to you about the, the word baptized because John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I know that many denominations get all involved about how you go about baptizing. And they develop all kinds of doctrines about it. I'm not going there this morning. <laughs> but I can tell you it is a term that is used and was used in Jesus' day, in John the Baptist's day, that was a term for the dyeing of fabric. Magdala was a little town on the Sea of Galilee, and it was noted to be a place where you could capture clams that had beautiful purple pigment inside their organisms. And Magdala made an industry of harvesting these clams from the Sea of Galilee, taking that purple dye and even 
the beautiful, decorative parts of the temple in Jerusalem would be dyed by the dye that would come from those clams. And what they would do when they would introduce a piece of fabric into the dye is they would seek to thoroughly saturate that fabric. So not one fiber of that fabric would go without being exposed to that dye. It was called baptizing the fabric. What Jesus wants is for us to be so baptized in the Holy Spirit that every fiber of us is affected and pigmented by the beauty of the holiness of the Holy Spirit. So totally saturated with dunamis that we understand the words of the Apostle Paul in the sixth chapter of Ephesians when he says, what I want you to do after you put on the whole armor of God is to pray without ceasing. That takes being baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. He baptizes us that we might be able to serve him in the way he's called us to do so. And for all of us, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be a prayer warrior, to be an intercessor. The scripture makes no difference between one believer or another believer as it relates to the need for baptism and for prayer. So it, we're all called upon to pray and to be intercessors and to find out how the Holy Spirit will empower our prayers. I was reminded of the first, I guess, real miracle that I beheld with my own eyes. As I walked through the back door this morning, sitting next to me was a dear sister by the name of Virginia Smith. Is she in here right now? There she is. There's Virginia. That confirmed to me that I was to share this with you because when I was 18 years old, uh, I was learning about the power of the Holy Spirit and about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'd gone through A.W. Tozer and R.A. Torrey and A.B. Simpson and studied what they had to share with the world about the power of the Holy Spirit. But I had never really seen that power in the kind of action I was about to see on a February, rainy February, cold morning in Decatur, Georgia, as my aunt lie in bed, lay in bed, 68 pounds with lymphoma, with a guarantee that she would never make it to springtime. She was dying. She had the death rattle already in her in her breathing. But there was a spirit-filled Baptist preacher who had come to town and he was teaching at two churches, one on one night, the other on another night. They were cooperating in this revival. And he was teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he was teaching about how Isaiah 53, which is known as the fifth gospel, by the way, because it so thoroughly tells you who Jesus is and what he's going to do. 
for the lost world. That by his stripes we are healed. My aunt, Virginia Smith, in Decatur, Georgia, heard us talk about this as we would come home from church. And she said, I believe God has told me that if the pastor will come and pray for me, Jesus will heal me. She had had no solid food for two years. She had not been able to do any of her personal hygiene or care for herself in any way. She was so spent, it was just a matter of hours, maybe days, but the doctor said she will not make springtime. And Warren Litzman, the pastor she was speaking of, we asked him to come and the family gathered around. We had never seen anything like this before in our lives. And he walked into her room where she was, um, was lying. And he opened his Bible and he read the passage about the woman with the issue of blood and how she had made her way through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And the scripture says, healing virtue flowed from him into her and he knew that it had happened. The touch of faith had occurred. The touch of helplessness had occurred. And he said, who was that that touched me? And his disciples said, you are thronged about with people. Many people have touched you. He said, I'm not talking about that kind of touch. He perceived that healing virtue had left him, had flowed through him. And it was the woman with the issue of blood. And so Warren read that passage. And I'll never forget the prayer. He reached over with his thumb and made the sign of the cross with anointing oil on her forehead. And he said, Lord Jesus, we don't know what you will do here this morning. But whatever you do, we will give you glory. And I ask you to heal my little sister. Within split seconds, a spent, diseased body that hadn't been out of bed for two years rose to her knees on that bed enraptured in the presence of God, thanking him for healing her. By nightfall, she had developed a ravenous appetite. She ate a steak and a full loaded baked potato, which would have killed anybody. (laughs) Would have killed anybody. Because she hadn't eaten solid food in so long. Three months later, she had regained not only all of her normal weight, but she had regained her ability to take care of herself, to uh, do anything she wanted to do. And three months from that morning, on that February morning, her doctor put her in Emory Hospital, Emory University Hospital, and they thoroughly examined her and compared Virginia Smith before that prayer and Virginia Smith after that prayer. And I will never forget, across her medical record, the doctor wrote, healed by a miracle of God. Thank you, Virginia, for confirming that I was to share that this morning. Cooperate, coordinate, collaborate. 
be thoroughly saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, when I came into contact with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I prayed with a language that my ears did not understand. Before the end of that year, the Holy Spirit had given me seven different languages to praise and pray with. And it continues to this day, and I can say with Paul, I speak with tongues more than all of you. (laughs) And there's power there. There's power there. But the greatest sign and the greatest evidence that I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not speaking in tongues. It was a ravenous appetite for the Word of God. The first year after I came to know Jesus as my baptizer in the Holy Spirit, I read this book three times. The first year, I could not get enough of it. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. That's what His power will do for you. Prayer born from the human heart by the power of the Holy Spirit is preserved by God for His response. The book of Revelation tells us that He maintains the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the martyrs and they never leave a sight. You may think God hasn't heard you. Oh, you're wrong. He not only has heard you, He lives in eternity. He's an eternal God. He's not bound by time and space. Your prayer is an eternal prayer. You step over the realm of time and space when you begin to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it becomes an eternal petition before Him. There's personal prayer, which are petitions that we make from our own personal needs and circumstances. Then there are general prayers as supplications when we are praying for our president, for our governor, for our legislators, for our judges, for our archbishop, for our bishops, for our pastors. And then there is warfare praying where we take territory away from the enemy. And that's what we're about in this prayer conference. We've seen it. There's amazing revival all over this world. And I wish I could transport you to some of the third world countries that have not been blinded by Western enlightenment. And they really believe God's word. And they act on his word. You would see how territory is taken from the enemy. I want to give you a sample of warfare prayer. And it comes from that wonderful movie called War Room. You know, my favorite segment of that movie is when the pastor and his wife are looking at Miss Clara's house in anticipation of purchasing it, and he walks into her prayer closet not knowing that's what it is. And he 
samples the atmosphere. And he walks out and he said, somebody's been praying in there. And then, of course, Miss Clara was praying for her dear friend Elizabeth Jordan. And listen, Miss Clara's prayers ignited Elizabeth Jordan. Who has God laid upon your heart that you can fight the battle for and see them come to victory? Elizabeth finally got through with Satan messing up her life, messing up her family, messing up her mind. And she prays, I don't know where you are, devil, but I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Can you say that to Satan? Boy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can in the name of Jesus. Satan, you are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. And another thing, I'm so sick of you stealing my joy, but that's changing too. My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It even doesn't come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.